We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. I want us to jump right in this morning as we uh, get ready to dive into God's Word. So grab your Bible and go with me to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. And we are in week six of our series, A Call to Die, Reckless Abandon and Radical Surrender. And for these past six weeks, we have been discovering what it means and what it looks like to live and walk as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And here in Matthew chapter 10, we, we started here last week, we'll be here again today, we see Jesus is preparing his disciples to be sent out on mission. And, and he's kind of telling them what they'll do and all, that they'll, and all that they'll face and then how to handle that. And so in verses 5 through 15, Jesus is telling, he's kind of giving them this commission and this charge and he's telling them what they're going to do and where they're going to go. And he says, I'm going to give you this power to, to heal and to cast out evil spirits and, and to raise the dead. And, and you're going to have this amazing power and authority that I've given you to go and declare the gospel. But then in verse 16 of Matthew chapter 10, the conversation shifts. And this is what we looked at last week. And Jesus begins to unpack for them the persecution that they're going to endure because of the mission he is sending them on. He said, I'm going to send you out to declare the gospel, to heal, to save, but you're going to face persecution because of that. And what we looked at last week was the disciple of Jesus should expect persecution. Jesus said it's going to happen, but he also reminded us there is purpose in it, and that purpose is so that we might be positioned to declare the good news in the gospel of Christ, and then there is promise in it, and the promise is that Jesus he, that our God will provide, that we will have his presence, and that he will deliver us. And so this morning now we look, starting in verse 26 is where we'll begin, and the conversation shifts again. And in verse 26, Jesus begins to tell his disciples how they are to deal with the fear that they're going to wrestle with in light of the persecution that they're about to go and deal with, right? And so they're about to be sent out. They're about to face this persecution. And Jesus recognizes that they are going to deal with fear because of that. So fear is a very real part of life, right? If fear wasn't, it was real for the disciples here. It is real for the disciples in this room. If it wasn't real, God's word would have no need to address it. But God's word does address it over and over again. Cover to cover, really, we see in God's word where he, he gives us this charge and this encouragement. He says things like, fear not, do not fear, have no fear of them, right? 
There's passages in the New Testament that say uh, perfect love cast out fear. And it says um, there is no fear in love. And then I love the verse where God says, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power. So God's word deals with this issue for us over and over again. Why? Because being a disciple of Jesus Christ is an unsafe undertaking. What do I mean by that? I mean, I need you to remember last week when Jesus looked at those disciples and said, you are sheep and I'm sending you out in the midst of wolves. Well, guess what? Sheep aren't safe among wolves. We talked about that last week. And Jesus is saying, as you go, there are things that you need to have on your radar. There are things that will cause fear, but I'm about to tell you why you don't have to be afraid of those. Jesus has said, if you want to follow, we must deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him. That's a costly thing. That's an unsafe thing. I was reading uh, from Pastor David Platt this week, and he was talking about the reality that we face as, the, as disciples of Jesus. I want you to hear what he says. He said this. He said, the danger of our lives actually increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Christ. Now think about that for a minute. He said the danger in our life increases in proportion to the depth of our relationship with Jesus. Now what is he saying? He's saying the more you love Christ, the more faithful you are to walk in obedience to the word, the more, the more courageous you are to speak the gospel among the wolves, the more dangerous it is for you. That's why a lot of people just settle into a life of comfort while they go, hey, well, I won't declare. I'll just, I'll just stay in the sheep pen where it's nice and safe. I'll come to church. I'll sit. I'll never really get involved or never really go out on mission. It's nice and safe in here. But there are those that Jesus has called to be disciples, to be out on mission. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been called to be a disciple, which is a learner, and to leave the safety of the sheep pen and to go out and live among the wolves. And here's the truth. The more we love Jesus, the more dangerous it is. Because the more courageous we become. John Piper is one of my <clears throat> favorite uh, pastors. You probably hear me quote him all the time. And um, one of the things he said was, you never get beyond fear. You always have to overcome it. I think about that. You never get beyond fear. You always have to overcome it. What is he saying? It's always going to be an issue that we have to wrestle with, that we have to deal with, that we have to grow through. On, on their staff at uh, Bethlehem Baptist Church up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, one of their lead pastors is a man named Ken Curry. And Ken Curry is, uh, he, he is one of their lead pastors, but he's also one of their evangelists. And one of the things Pastor Ken does is he would go to the University of Minnesota, which is just a quarter mile to half a mile away from their campus. You can see it from their church. And he teaches and trains students on how to evangelize the lost on the campus. Now, this is a campus of 40,000 people from all over the world. And over the years of Pastor Ken doing this, he has seen hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith in Jesus. He's kind of built a reputation for being courageous out uh, to declare the gospel. 
and and to see men and women come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they were having a staff meeting one day, and the other pastors were talking to him about it. And I want you to hear what he said in response to them uh, affirming his courage. He said this, There is never a day that I'm not anxious about doing this. This is a man who has been doing this for years, seeing countless people come to faith, and he's saying every day, I have to battle fear. Every day, every day, I never get over it. I have to overcome it. So that gives me hope (laughs) as a believer in Jesus Christ. But the question that I wrestle with is, why do we wrestle with fear that way? Why is it an issue in our life? Why does it become crippling to the point that we don't live our lives on mission? And I think there's two reasons why we struggle with fear. And so what I want to do is just lay this as a foundation, and then we're going to dive into God's Word together. There's two reasons I think we struggle with fear. Here's the first one. Because the old man must be put to death over and over again. Over and over again. What do I mean by that? I mean, we have two natures. I have my, that old man that lives, that pre-Jesus man, that side of me that's my flesh. And God's Word says that if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. But that old man loves to rise up when it gets risky, when it gets dangerous, when it gets costly. And we have to put the old man to death over and over and over again. Why? Because that old man loves self. He wants to preserve self. He wants to avoid anything uncomfortable, anything awkward. The old man loves to be accepted, loves to be included, loves to be loved. And in order for us to live courageously on mission for the kingdom, we got to put that man to death. we got to let that new man rise up. That's the first reason. we got to put the old man to death over and over and over again. Here's the second reason I think we struggle with fear. It's because the devil hates nothing more than evangelism. He hates evangelism. He hates it when believers in Jesus Christ set their feet and boldly declare the good news of Jesus Christ. I think he gives very little concern for what we do in these walls because this isn't his territory. He doesn't get to have a foothold here. Out there, that's his territory. So when we start walking with Courage, and we start boldly declaring that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord, and we're sharing the gospel. That's when he begins to deploy weapons against us. And one of his greatest weapons to strip us of our courage is fear. So the question that I want us to look at today is not, as a disciple, will I I battle fear? The answer to that is yes, you will. The question I want us to wrestle with today is, how do I wage war against it and overcome it? That's the question disciples ask. I'm going to acknowledge that it exists, but I want to know how do I wage war against it and overcome it. So let's look together. In Matthew chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 26. (coughs) Excuse me. Jesus says this, So have no fear of them. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and 
body in hell? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are more value. You are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. God, we confess that in order for this word to be alive to us and to be transformative in us, we need the power of your presence and of your Holy Spirit. So Spirit, would you come this morning and take the seat of honor? Would you move in our hearts? Would you illuminate this word in our lives, God? Would you make us a people of courage, born out of the promises of your word? We need that today, and we ask you to come and do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So three times in this passage, Jesus says, do not fear. He says, have no fear, do not fear, fear not. Now, If you're like me, what is the first thing you feel when someone tells you not to feel this certain thing? I feel what they just said, don't feel, right? Hey, don't be afraid. Well, now that means there's something to be afraid of, right? Hey, don't be anxious. Too late. There's something wrong back here, and I just don't know it. You know it, but I don't, and now I'm worried about it. Anybody else? It's the first thing I feel, right? We we, we wrestle with fear. And I think we all have irrational fears. I know that I do. Um, I have an irrational fear of blood. I cannot handle it. I cannot deal with it. I don't like to see it. I don't want to be around it. I look at people in the medical profession, and I stand in amazement that you can live and work in proximity to blood. I don't understand it. Um, It makes me woozy, and uh, all the blood leaves my face, and uh, I, I get messed up. And I know this by experience because multiple times I have ended up on the floor when I got a little bit too near some, uh, some blood. Uh, one of those times was uh, Carrie and I were friends. We hadn't started dating yet, but I was really quite interested in this lady. And she had gotten in a car wreck and had really injured herself uh, bad, had a giant gash on her head. And so I found out she was at the ER. I get to the hospital and I go back into the room, and they are, they are, they're, they're shaving her head, right, because it's a big wound. They ended up putting 18 staples in it, right? This was a significant injury. And, and uh, I know that I don't like blood. Like, I know that about myself in this moment. Um, but I didn't know how much I didn't like it. And I'm standing beside her, and we're talking, and the nurses and the doctors are shaving this, this part of her head, and then they, they gather up all that they had shaved, and it, and it kind of passes in front of my face like this. And it's just bloody hair and sticks and rocks. And I remember thinking, that don't look good. Boop! And I went straight out. <laughs> I went straight to the floor. And uh, I don't know how impressed she was with me as a man in that moment. But have you ever passed out and you, you can hear everything in the room, but your body has forfeited any ability to response? So I, I, I'm, I'm laying on the floor. The doctor is so frustrated that I'm even back there. He literally pushes the, the table over, steps over me, and just continues working on her. And I, I finally come back and I'm like, hey, everybody okay? Everybody good? 
And he's like, you got to go, man. You got to get out of here. Um, I, can't, I can't handle it. Now, listen, I know that that fear is irrational. I don't even like talking about it. It makes me feel weird, like right now. And, uh, but I, I know that. But when Jesus is looking at, at these 12 who just a few chapters ago, he called them to be his disciples. And then at the beginning of this chapter, he says, I'm going to send you out in power. And then in the middle of the chapter, he says, but you're going to be persecuted. And now here at the end of the chapter, he is saying, but you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to, you don't have to fear. I'm, I'm telling you, the rest of your life is going to be filled with rejection and hardship and abuse and exclusion. But you don't have to be afraid. And then, he, and then he starts to give them the understanding and the weapons that they have to wage war against fear in their life, that fear of living on mission for the kingdom of God. And so I want us to look this morning at the truths that we see in this passage and the weapons that we've been given to wage war on the fear that would cripple us and, and keep us from living on mission. Here's the first one I want us to see. I think the first weapon we have is the vindication of Jesus. The vindication of Jesus. Look at verse 26 and 27. Jesus says, So have no fear of them. Now who's the them he's talking about? Well, if you'll back up in verse 16, he said, I'm sending you out a sheep among the wolves. And then in verse 24 and 25, he said, they're going to they're persecute the master, so they're definitely going to persecute the disciple. He said, they're going to call the master of the house Beelzebul, which is another name for the devil. They're going to call me the devil, so they're certainly going to mistreat you. That's the them he's talking about when he says, so have no fear of them. Those that would mistreat, those that would call you names, those that would persecute. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that you can be encouraged because here's what, you, here's what you can know. I'm going to vindicate you. I'm going to uncover what they have done to you. I'm going to deal justly with the persecution that you have endured for my name's sake. He said, those things that you have been dealing with in the darkness and, and that have been hidden, I'm going to reveal in the light. Have you ever had that happen to you? Have you ever been... Um, it had to endure hardship, and nobody knew it was going on. Someone was persecuting you or mistreating you, but it was, all, it was all hidden, and no one knew it but you. And what a lonely place that feels like. Jesus is identifying with his disciples. He said, it's going to look like they're getting away with stuff, but you got to know this. I'm going to vindicate you. Those things, I'm going I'm to uncover what's been hidden. And I think there are two things that he means by this. There's two vindications, two uncoverings or revealings, if you will. Here's the first one. I think the first thing he's going to reveal is the persecution done against his people. He said, these things done in secret, I'm going to reveal. You know, when I look across scripture, one of the guys that I love because I identify with him over and over and over again is David. I love David. I love the Psalms because the rise and fall of my human emotions are right there. Everything I struggle with is, is in there because David battled. And David dealt with this issue of wanting to be vindicated for his faithfulness to the Lord. And in Psalm 119, 
starting in verse 81, I want you to see what he says. He says, my soul longs for your salvation. And another word that could be used there, translated there, is for your deliverance or for your vindication. He says, I hope in your word. My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? For I have become like a wineskin in the smoke. What does he mean by that? He said, I've become, I've become dry and brittle and tired and empty because of this persecution that I'm under. He says, but I have not forgotten your statutes. How long must your servant endure? And when will you judge those who persecute me? That's just a very honest plea before the Lord for vindication. And I, I have felt this before. And Jesus is answering this cry. He says, those things that you are dealing with that no one knows about, I'm going to bring them to light because I'm going to vindicate you. So I think he, he vindicates the persecution done to us. He reveals that. But here's the second thing I think he does. He also reveals and uncovers the innocence of his people. The innocence of his people. You remember last week when we looked at, at verse 16 of this very same chapter, Jesus said, I'm sending you out, sheep among wolves, so be Wise as serpents and what? This is where you get to talk back and forth. You can be wise as serpents and what? Innocent as doves, right? He says, be wise and be innocent. What is he saying? You're going to endure hardship, but in that, walk faithfully, walk in purity, walk with integrity. And I'm going to reveal your innocence. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uncover that the accusations made against you are not true. I'm going to come to your defense. I think one of the ways we can battle fear is to see the vindication of Jesus. So in light of that vindication, <coughs> excuse me, what does Jesus tell us to do? Look at verse 27. He says, so knowing I'm going to uncover, knowing I'm going to reveal, verse 27, so what I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. What is he saying? He's saying, so because I'm going to vindicate you, do not fear speaking the truth. Go and declare the gospel. Go and share the good news. Those things that I have whispered to your heart and into your soul that have transformed you, go and shout them from the rooftops to the world. And don't fear what they may say or do. What is he telling us to do? He said, I need you to get an eternal perspective. I need you to be more concerned about what God is doing in eternity than what man might do right now. He's saying, I'm going to vindicate you. But we can't go and shout that transformative gospel until we have received and been transformed by it ourselves. And I, I want to tell you a burden that I have. I have a burden that people come in and out of our doors every week. And they're really good at this. They're really good at coming in and sitting and hearing a message and singing. And maybe even going to life. group. really good at this. And never actually having their heart transformed by the gospel. What does that mean? It means there's a time when you came to a realization that you were a sinner and you were far from God and that you needed a Savior and that that one is Jesus Christ. And from that moment to this moment, maybe you haven't been perfect, but praise the Lord, you have never been the same. So I want to ask you, have you been transformed 
by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's step one in being able to go out. And when Jesus says, shout it from the rooftops, you can't shout what you haven't received. So, but for those of us that have received, what gives us the boldness, that holy courage to go and shout from the rooftops? It's a recognition that Jesus will vindicate. He will uncover what's hidden. He will make right. Jesus will vindicate us. Here's the second weapon, I think, that we have in this war against fear. And that is this. It is a recognition of the limitation of our enemy. The limitation of our enemy. Look at verse 28. Jesus said, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying, hey, the, the enemies of the gospel and the enemies of God are limited. Man is limited. Satan is limited. See, Jesus knows that we're going to be tempted to fear what man can do to us. And here's what he says. He says, do not fear man because the worst thing he can do is kill you. Now, I don't know about you. But I was going to, I promise you in that group, I would have been the disciple that raised his hand and goes, yeah, but that sounds kind of bad. <laughs> like, what? What do you mean the word? That sounds like the worst. You know, that, that would have been me. But Jesus is saying, no, you, have, you need to see this as an encouragement. That the worst thing they can do is kill you. So why, why does that not encourage? I think, again, it's because... That old man wants to preserve the self. That old man wants to, that flesh rises up and says, no, we don't want to risk that. It's too risky. Let's don't do it. All right? We've got to remember, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is not something we do in our flesh. It is done by divine power. And God's Word says that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. So we have been given the weapons to wage war against fear, and one of those is a right understanding of the limitation of our enemy. Jesus is giving this to us as an encouragement. So let me ask you, does that encourage you? Does it encourage you to know that the worst thing that can happen to you in this life is you die? Is that good news? Here's where I think we have to get for that to be good news. I think we have to put the old man to death. I think we have to get an eternal perspective. And I think, I think Paul gives us the blueprint of how to do this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It's a verse that many of you have heard uh, several times, but it is the blueprint of what it means to understand the limitation of the enemy and to, to see as an encouragement that the worst thing that can happen to me is that I would die. He says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. <laughs> and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying, I don't fear death because I've already died to myself. I've been crucified in Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. I don't fear what man can do because I've already died to myself. That's the blueprint for how to do this. But if I, if 
if I haven't been crucified with Christ, if I haven't died to myself or denied myself to take up my cross and follow the way Jesus commanded, here's what, you, here's what I know about me and what I know about you and what you know about you. I'm going to value my safety, my comfort, and my security above God's mission. I know that. And that will keep me in bondage to fear. I read this week about a missionary named John Patton. John Patton was a missionary in the late 1800s and uh, the, the first few years of the 1900s. And he was a missionary in the South Pacific Islands, one in particular named uh, Aniwa. I think I'm saying that right, Aniwa. And when John, John Patton's life was filled with hardship, his first wife and child died from a fever he, he remarried, and he and his new wife now, uh, they sail to these islands. And when he gets to the island of Aniwa, here's what he finds there. There is no gospel presence. It has never been there. He finds an island filled with tribes of cannibals and uh, people who uh, worship evil spirits and just practice human sacrifice. This is what he found when he got to the island. And there was an immediate persecution he began to endure as he felt God had called him to invest his life among these people. In his memoirs, he talks about having to uh, gather his family and run and hide in the woods when they, when they would come to try to seek him out to kill him. So that, his life here was hard and it was difficult. And even among his Christian friends before he went, they were, they were trying to talk him out of it. He had a good friend named Mr. Dickinson, and Mr. Dickinson had caught up with John one day, knowing he was going to go to these islands, and, and here's what he told him. He said, John, they are cannibals, and you are going to be eaten. He's trying to talk him out of it. He's rebuking him. He's saying, hey, don't go do that. It's dangerous. And John Patton's response, uh, I think, is the embodiment of one who lives without fear because he knows the limitation of the enemy. Here's what he said. He said, Mr. Dickinson, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it makes no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day, my resurrected body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Now that's living with an understanding of the limitation of the enemy. Amen can take this body, but this body is just a moment anyway. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Now over the next 15 to 20 years, he invested his life on this island. And by the time he died, the entire island was a believing island. The entire island had been converted to Christianity. What did he do when he was there? He learned their language. He built schools. He built churches. He built orphanages. He translated the New Testament into their language. There was, there was a divine gospel work that happened because he understood the limitation of the enemy and it caused him not to fear. So church, when we get this eternal perspective, when we crucify that old man, and we deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Jesus. That is when we are set free 
to declare the gospel and to live on mission for the king. Jesus says, don't fear man. All they can do is kill the body. He says, fear God. Fear God more than man. You know, I look at these saints of old like this, these disciples who didn't know they were headed into a life of hardship and ultimately to be martyred. And I look at these guys and I think, what positioned them to have that courage? And I think they feared man so little because they feared God so much. What does Proverbs say? It says, the fear of the Lord is the what? Beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding. It's the beginning of clarity. It's the beginning of cleared vision. It's the beginning of my eyes being open and being able to see with an eternal perspective. I don't get that perspective if it doesn't begin with a reverent, holy fear of the Lord. And I'm not talking about a shivering in my boots fear. I'm talking about a reverent finding Him in His rightful place as the sovereign God of the universe fear. This missionary had it. Jesus is calling us to have it. If we're going to live as disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to rest in the vindication of Jesus. We have to understand the limitation of our enemy. Here's the last thing I want you to see. We have to see and receive the affection of our Father. Affection of our Father. Look at verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. So fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Here Jesus is giving them the assurance that our father, he sees us, he knows us, he will take care of us, and he's giving us this assurance and and. and Painting the picture of the magnitude of God's love and care for us by teaching us about the sovereignty of God. What he does is he looks at his disciples and he says, you know those two little sparrows you can go buy for a penny at the temple? Those sparrows that don't matter to anyone and don't mean anything? They're literally the cheapest thing you can get? You know those you can get? He's saying not a single one of those falls from the sky and lands on the ground outside of the sovereign knowledge of God and it happening under the banner of his sovereignty. Not one. So he then goes on to say some of the most beautiful words in all of Scripture, which is this, how much more then? How much more then? If that's true of two sparrows that are only worth a cent, How much more then will your heavenly Father give those same sovereign affections toward you? He knows every one of the thousands of hairs on your head. That's how much He cares about you. Now, for some of us, it's every one of the dozens of hairs, but that's fine. It's fine. He loves us anyway. All right? He said He knows you and He loves you. What do I mean by the sovereign affections of the Lord? I am talking about that supreme, uh, absolute, divinely thoughtful, God-glorifying love for you. That is the sovereign affection. If If He is lovingly sovereign over us, 
then here's what we can do. We can trust that in our rising and in our falling, in our struggling and our succeeding, in our victories and our defeats, He is sovereign and He is with us. We can, when, when, when we see so clearly or when everything around us makes no sense, He is still sovereign and He is with us. When we have all the answers and when we have nothing but empty hands, He is still sovereign and He is with us. And He loves us. And that sovereignty, that love positions us to walk with some assurance. One is he will never allow anything to happen to us outside of his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You go, well, wait a minute, Pastor Matt, because sometimes bad things happen. You're telling me it's a part of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for something bad to happen to me? I am telling you, yes, right in the middle of that bad thing, if you're walking through a season of struggle or persecution or hardship or exclusion or rejection, if you are dealing with something difficult, if you're in a season right now of not having all the answers, but rather of having nothing but empty hands, I am telling you right now in that moment, God wants to glorify himself in your life. So yes, he allows hardship and trials to come. It's why James, when he writes that letter, says, consider it pure joy. When you face trials of many kinds, because that is going to produce in you a faith. It is doing something. It is at work. And Jesus says, if you want to overcome fear and live on mission, you are going to rest in my sovereign affections, even when it doesn't make sense. So, in light of, of that vindication of Jesus, and in light of that limitation of our enemy, And in light of his affections, his sovereignty, and his love toward us, we are liberated to confess Jesus without fear. Look at what he says in verse 32. He says, so, when you see that, that is a a transition word. He means therefore, or in light of that, or with this in mind, in conclusion, so, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. So church, I want to ask you something. Does your world know whose you are? Does your world know who you belong to? Do your circles of influence interact with someone who lives an outward, courageous gratitude for the transformative work that Jesus has done in your life? Do they know? Are you living on mission? Is there a holy boldness that you live with because of what Jesus has done for you? Is the love and forgiveness that you've received, shaping how the world sees you. Jesus says this, if you aren't willing to confess me before men, he will not confess us before his Father who is in heaven. That's a scary verse, church. That's one of those, okay, that just cleared the weeds for me. Verses. Which is why I think 
I think Romans chapter 1, verse 16 should be the anthem cry of every believer. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are a disciple and you are wanting to live your life on mission for the king, this is your anthem cry. Paul writes this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Paul says, in in light of these things, Jesus is saying, in light of these things, we are not ashamed of the gospel. We can acknowledge Jesus before men. We can share the good news that we have heard and we have received. We can hold up the light and banner of Jesus and we can shout from the rooftops the hope that we have found in the God of hope. The positive of what Jesus said there is this. There's two two confessions. He says, if you confess or acknowledge me before men, confess me before men, I will also acknowledge you and confess you before my Father who is in heaven. Here's why that second confession ought to inspire the first. Because I can go and I can stand among the wolves and I can declare that I belong to Jesus and he belongs to me. And I do that with the day in mind that I know is coming when I will stand before my heavenly father and Jesus with me in view in the presence of God will say, he belongs to me and I belong to him. I confess before men knowing the day is coming when I get the glorious, satisfying joy of of hearing Jesus declare me before God. Can you even imagine the moment when Jesus says, I'm going to acknowledge you before my Father? Which means I don't speak a word. He says, his display of knowing me and of loving me and of being mine, he lived it out on mission. He acknowledged me before men. Heavenly Father, I'm telling you, he is mine and I'm his. So does the world around you know whose you are? I think there's some things that we need to to deal with as we're thinking about closing this morning. I think there are three confessions I want you to think through. I think we're all in, in one of these three places today. The first one is this. I believe there's some of you who need to confess and acknowledge Jesus as Lord for the very first time. I think there's some of you who have gotten really good at coming in. You love coming to church. But your confession this morning would be, I have not rested my faith in Jesus. There's not been that moment where I met him and he has changed my life forever. And you need to come this morning and take one of us by the hand and say, that's me. I need to acknowledge Jesus this morning as my Lord and Savior and receive that free gift of salvation. I think some of you have done that and you need to confess Jesus through baptism. Through baptism. I think some of you need to come this morning and you need to say, you know what, I have been transformed, but I've never taken that next step of obedience of believer's baptism and stood up in front of my spiritual family and acknowledged that Jesus is my Lord and you need to be baptized. I want you to come. Let us know. We would love to help you do that. And then I think for some of you who are disciples of Jesus Christ, it is simply time that you confess Jesus before men, among the wolves.
It is time to get out of the safety of the sheep pen and start living out there on mission for God and step into that holy boldness and courage that comes from knowing Jesus is going to vindicate me no matter what happens. The enemy is limited and I am being held up by the sovereign affections of my Father so I can declare the gospel without fear. Wherever you are this morning, I have prayed for you that you would respond in obedience. So we're going to worship and provide a moment to do that. And uh, as soon as I say amen, I pray that you will stand, worship, and those of you who need to move, come, take us by the hymn, and let's journey together. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Jesus, I am asking right now that in the power of your name, by the power of your spirit, you'd move among us. God, that we would not... uh, that we would not listen to any lie of the enemy that keeps us bound to our seat, God, but rather we would step out in faith, in believing, in courage, and without fear, knowing, God, that we are yours. So, Father, I pray you'd move in this moment. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.